Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Seeking God is the first thing. Seeking God is the main thing. And here in Psalm 63, David tells us how to do that. When King David writes this psalm, he was in a difficult situation. He was in a tough place. His son Absalom had rebelled against his rulership, had caused a civil war, and had caused such an uprising that David had been driven from Jerusalem and now hides in the wilderness, rejected, humiliated, broken. And he says, in that moment of trouble and difficulty, he seeks the Lord. Now, how are we supposed to seek the Lord? Well, we learn in this psalm, we are to seek the Lord with our soul. Seek the Lord with our soul. We're not just a physical person. We have a soul. There is an immaterial part of us. Notice he says in verse 1, O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Your spirit was dead. But when you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, your spirit was raised from the dead. And now, because you have within you the living new nature in Jesus Christ, you have the capacity to speak to God, and you have the capacity to hear from God. The Bible says we are to care for our souls. It's more important than caring for your physical body. And there is nothing in this world that can nourish and feed your soul and make your soul healthy as far as your Christian life is concerned. Notice he says, as he looks around, he says, I'm out here in a dry and thirsty land, so my soul longs for you. There's nothing out here that's going to touch my soul, that's going to bless my soul. One day, our Lord Jesus Christ stood before thousands of people and taught them. His disciples said, you need to go ahead and send them home. They're hungry. And Jesus said, I'm not going to send them home. And they said, well, Lord, all we've got is this little boy and his lunch. But what's that when there are so many? And Jesus took the loaves and fishes in his hand. And the Bible says that he fed 5,000 people. In fact, it was such an abundant, visible miracle that there were 12 basketfuls of leftovers. One for each of the disciples who had been busy serving the food. He made sure they had something to eat on the way home. And then Jesus stood before them and preached a message. He said, I'm the bread of life. He even said, I'm the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate man and died. He that eats this bread shall live forever. Only Jesus Christ can feed the soul and satisfy the longing 
of your spirit. One day a woman came to a well, and Jesus was sitting there waiting for her. And Jesus said, if you drink the water in that well, you'll thirst again. But if you drink the water I give you, you'll never thirst. People are looking for satisfaction in this world today. But I'm telling you, we are living in a dry and thirsty land. There is nothing out there in this world that can satisfy your soul. There's not enough money. There's not enough drugs. There's not enough lust. There's not enough power. And there's not enough dead religion. The only thing that can nourish your soul is a living relationship with the living Lord. The soul is touched by the living word and by the written word. We got to have the milk of the word and we got to have the meat of the word. And when we got the living word and we're focused on the written word it makes our soul strong so we are to seek God with our soul we're also to seek God with our eyes look the Bible says in verse 2 so I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and to see your glory the power of the manifested presence of God. Now, notice he says to, to once again be in Jerusalem and to see that place where your Shekinah glory hovers over the mercy seat. I believe the desperate need of the church today is revival. And you know, sometimes churches need revival because they fall into sin. And sometimes churches need revivals because they get in a rut. And sometimes churches get in revival because they get filled with apathy. But sometimes you need revival because you're just tired and wore out from fighting the world, the flesh, and the devil. And I believe we need revival. There's a great Bible teacher and he's followed by multiplied thousands. And he made a statement one time, there's no possibility for revival in the church in these last days. Revival is just a bunch of emotionalism. It's just a bunch of sentimentalism, and it doesn't last. And yet I read a great theologian who wrote an essay on revival, and he said as he looked in history, in the church that some revivals lasted for years and some revivals lasted for months and some revivals lasted for weeks and some revivals lasted for days and some revivals lasted for hours and revival is not just a renewed commitment to the Lordship of Christ and it's not just an enlarging of the faith of the body of Christ but revival is a moment in time in the life of the church when Jesus Christ manifests his power and glory. And the very atmosphere of the church is charged with the living presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He said, Lord, I want to see your power and I want to see your glory. And that's what we need to do as children of God tonight. We need to seek God with our eyes and we need to say like David, Lord God in heaven, we want to see your power. We want to see your glory. We're tired of business as usual. We're tired of an up and down Christianity. We want to get out of the rut. We want to get out of the routine. We want to shake off the apathy and we want to stop listening to all the voices of 
gloom and doom. I'm not going to hunker down in a little Bible study like that Bible teacher said we ought to do and just wait for the end. I want to rise up and seek the Lord and ask the Lord to come down and sit in Holy Ghost power on the church that I pastor and on my life as a pastor. Let me tell you something. When you see the power and the glory of God, it affects you. When you see the power and the glory of God, it will thrill you. When you see the power and the glory of God, it will humble you. When you see the power and glory of God, it will arm you. Because when you see how big he is, you will know there is no enemy, there is no problem, there is no political party, there is no tragedy, there is no demon in hell or the devil himself that can overcome the people of God because greater is he that's within me than he that is in the Lord. We ought to seek the Lord for a Holy Ghost revival where we see the power and the glory of God come into the church and take over and manifest the presence of Jesus. So we're supposed to seek God with our soul. We're supposed to seek God with our eyes. And the Bible says here, we're supposed to seek God with our lips. It says in verse 3, because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. It says in verse 5, my soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. One of the things that I've noticed among church folks since all this COVID stuff has happened, is there's a gloom and there's a doom that has gripped them. I mean, the sky is falling. It kind of reminds me of 1999 in Y2K, you know, when everybody said the computers are going to crash when we go into 2000, so you need to spend your life uh, arming yourself, buying landmines for your front yard, dig a bunker in the backyard, get you another generator, make sure you got enough spam potted meat, and all that kind of stuff. And as if God is dead and not up for the situation and the task. And, and the Scripture teaches us that our God is in charge and that He's large. But people are worried, oh my goodness, the political situation. Oh my goodness, the financial situation. Oh my goodness, the world scene today. I'm telling you, evil seems to triumph. No, let me tell you something, folks. The Bible teaches us that Jesus Christ is on the throne and he's the King of kings and he's the Lord of lords. And the Bible says, my God shall supply all my need when there's a downturn, when the liberals seem to be large and in charge, when Everything seems to be coming apart. When the gas prices are going up, I'm telling you, my God shall supply all of my need according to his riches. There's no bankruptcy in heaven. There's no election in heaven. Let me tell you something, my friend. I'm not running from anything. I'm running to someone. I'm, I'm running to the one who has all the victory, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So... I'm, I'm positive, and I'm happy, and I'm rejoicing, and I got a song in my heart, which means I got a song in my mouth. You say, well, what have we got to sing about tonight? Look what the Word says in verse 3. Because your loving 
Kindness is better than life. My lips will praise you. Now, loving kindness means mercy. That means God doesn't give us what we do deserve. So I tell you, I got a song in my heart tonight because I deserve to go to hell. And I, I deserve for God just to leave me alone. I was lost in sin, but the Holy Spirit of God sought me. And, and Jesus had shed his blood to purchase my soul salvation. And I want you to know when I received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, it was a gift of God. He didn't give me what I do deserve. He gave me what I don't deserve. And I'm going to heaven, and I got heaven on the way to heaven. So I got a song in my heart because nothing can take that away from me. I can sing of his mercy forever. If Listen, if you have experienced the mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you've got something to sing about tonight. You ought to have a smile on your heart. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. I don't know why Baptist people are so afraid of praise. And, and, then, and look at verse 5. He says, my soul shall be satisfied. See, I'm saved so that's why I'm singing, because I've experienced his loving kindness, his mercy. But I'm also singing because I'm satisfied. It says in verse 5, my soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness. That means rich food. So my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. Now, I want you to understand something. There are no fat-free blessings. There are no locale blessings. And I understand we need to eat healthy, and I don't need you to come up and lecture me on my I understand that, and I try to eat in moderation, and I try to, I try to do the right thing. But I'm just going to tell you, just, there are just times in my life when there's food put in front of me that uh, oh, I'm just telling you the spirit is strong, but the flesh can sometimes be weak. We went in, to a diner in Jacksonville. And I looked at the special. And have you ever seen something and you thought, I know I shouldn't, but I'm going to. And I'm probably not going to like it afterwards, but I'm, I'm going to do it. But they had this special. And they took dressing. I mean, like you have at Thanksgiving. And they made a waffle out of it. And then they put that big waffle made out of dressing on a plate. And then they put a scoop of dressing on top of that waffle that was made out of dressing. And then they sliced turkey and put it on top of the scoop of dressing that was on the dressing waffle. And then they put gravy all over the top of it and some cranberry sauce on the side. And I ate the whole thing. I'm telling you, I ate the whole thing. Brother, it was, it was rich food. It wasn't locale. It wasn't fat-free. And when it comes to the blessings of God... I want you to know he doesn't skimp. They're high-calorie blessings. I didn't, that's what it says there. My soul is satisfied with marrow and fatness. 
And so I'm singing because I'm satisfied, because I'm not just saved, I'm also blessed. When I think about the fact that not only am I born again, but I have been adopted as an adult son in the family of God. When I think about the fact that I have been accepted in Christ the beloved, when I think about the fact that I'm already seated in the heavenlies, when I think about the fact that I have been ransomed and I have been redeemed and I am I have been brought near to God by the blood of Jesus, when I think about the fact that I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit and heaven is my home, but until that day Jesus said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you and all along the way I'm praying for you and I'm telling you what I'm interceding for you and when I begin to think about how lost I used to be, but what I have in Jesus Christ, I want you to know, even though I'm not a good singer, I begin to lift my voice and praise the Lord. So let me tell you something, my friend. I'm singing tonight because I'm saved. And I'm singing tonight because I'm satisfied in the Lord Jesus Christ. But listen, we seek the Lord with our soul. We seek the Lord with our eyes. We seek the Lord with our lips. But we also seek the Lord with our hands. Now, verse 4 makes Baptist folks nervous. And that's why usually when they come to a verse like that, they say, now, that's Old Testament. (laughs) All Scripture is given and is profitable, inspired by God. And I love this verse. It says in verse 4, thus, I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. I will lift up my hands in your name. So what does that mean to lift up hands? It means, first of all, we are to lift up our hands in prayer. In the Psalms, the Bible says in another place that we are to lift up our hands in holy prayer to a holy God. And when those Jewish men would pray, they would stand there with their palms upward, and what they were saying is, my life is an open book, I, my, my sins are confessed. And what they were also saying is, I'm giving you, I'm giving you this burden. I'm giving you this need. But by standing there with their hands extended, they were also saying, now, I expect you to answer this prayer. I expect you, O oh God, to respond to this request. So we're to lift up holy hands in prayer. We're to lift up holy hands in labor. Jesus says, if you offer with your hand a cup of cold water to the least of these my disciples, he says, you will not lose your reward. So every act of kindness we do in the name of Jesus, we're being Jesus in this world, and the only hands Jesus has in this world are your hands. We're to lift up our hands in holy labor. We're also to lift up our hands in holy worship. When I was a little boy, my dad used to love to watch westerns. All these old westerns, uh, you know, Gunsmoke, Bonanza, and Bat Masterson, and Have Gun Will Travel. And when they caught the bad guys, they always said the same thing. When they pulled out their six gun, they said, raise your hands up. And they would raise their hands up. Why? They were saying, I surrender. 
And when we worship the Lord and we lift up holy hands, you know what we're saying to him? We're saying, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give, and with open hands I relinquish control. And so we lift up holy hands in prayer. We lift up holy hands in labor. We lift up holy hands in worship. And the Scripture teaches us that when we lift up our hands in praise to the Lord Jesus Christ, we lift them up and the power of God comes down. But listen to this. We, we seek the Lord with our soul. We seek the Lord with our eyes. We seek the Lord with our lips. We seek the Lord with our hands. But we also seek the Lord with our minds. Now, if you were to ask me, Brother Herb, you have been a pastor at North Jacksonville Baptist Church for 31 years. What subject have you preached on that probably has resonated more than any other subject with the people that you pastor? What, 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 what subject have you preached on that you received uh, more response? People saying, that was a blessing, I needed that. And I tell you exactly what that subject is. Is any time I've ever preached on worry. Worry is a real stronghold in the life of God's people. And there's a lot of stuff to make us worry. Jesus knew that we were going to have this problem. That's why he said all those wonderful things in Matthew chapter 6. Don't worry. Look at the fowls of the air. Look at the flowers out there. God's taking care of them, and they don't even have a living soul, and God will take care of you. That's why Paul wrote all that in Philippians 4. He said, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Don't be anxious. And yet we are. Someone has defined worry as a division of the mind. I read somewhere that someone had uh, figured out or surveyed that 90% of what folks worry about never comes to pass, and the other 10% that does, the worry wouldn't have helped it anyway. But you know what? Most people worry about stuff that hadn't even happened yet. They're sitting around worrying about what, what might happen or what's going to happen or what, what's just up ahead. And you would think that David would be out there worried because his kingdom has been taken away from him. He's out of his palace. His son has rebelled against him and broken his heart. But notice the key word here. We're to seek God with our minds. The Bible says in verse 6, When I remember Absalom, when I remember loss, problems, fears, anxieties, no, he says, when I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. So laying on his bed, he meditated on God. Now the word meditate in the Hebrew means to mutter or to speak something under your breath. It's to talk to yourself, to say something over and over. And uh, I describe meditation to our church family like this. I, I have a weakness, and uh, uh, I love blow pops, and I quit getting those things because, you know, they'll rot your teeth. But I don't like Tootsie Rolls because I don't like the chocolate in the center. I like blow pops. And the man, you put that blow pop in your mind, and you don't just start crunching down on it. You roll that thing around on your tongue, and you savor it, and you just roll it around, and you roll it around, and you roll it around, and you take a layer, and you take a layer, and you take a layer, and you take a layer of that candy off. And you can tell when you're getting right down to the bubble gum, and all of a sudden, when you get right down there, and you bite, and I don't know what it is, it is an explosion in your mouth. 
And let me tell you what meditation is. You take the truth of the Word of God and the character of God and you roll it over in your brain. You lay there at night and you don't focus on your problems and think about your problems and you don't meditate on your problems. You meditate on God. You meditate on His promises and you roll them over in your mind and over in your soul and over in your mind. Charles Stanley one time said the sweetest sleep that a Christian can experience is when you lay there and you pray and you seek the Lord and Suddenly you get drowsy, and before you can even say amen, you drift off into sleep. So what's he thinking about on that bed? What's he meditating on specifically about God? Look what he says there in verse 7. Because you have been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. Now when we first look at that, we think about the fact that God's like a mother hen. And David's saying, you have gathered, gathered me like you gather your chicks under your wings. But I believe maybe something else is in view here. Because over the mercy seat, on, on one side there was a cherubim, and on the other side was a cherubim. And their wings were extended over that mercy seat. And on that mercy seat... There was blood stains from where lambs were slain to atone for the sins of the people. And he says, when I lay here on my bed, I think about the shed blood of the lamb. And I think about how I am righteous and I have standing because of a substitute. And when you feel like getting depressed and your problems are closing in, just begin to contemplate the fact that Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth and he died on the cross as your substitute and he shed his blood to pay your sin debt in full. And the blood of Jesus has washed your sins away past and present and continues to do it in the future and the devil has no power to get through the blood of Jesus to get to you that's what you need to have your brain dwelling on and then look what else he's dwelling on mentally he's seeking the Lord he says there in verse 8 my soul follows now notice this close Behind you, your right hand upholds me. My first church, we went out on visitation. And I love dogs, but I'm afraid of dogs that bare their teeth, you know, and growl. And when we go out on visitation, I could hear them coming before I ever saw them. You could hear them panting, coming around from the back of the house. Some of them coming out from underneath the house. And one of my godly deacons my first church, Bobby Johnson and I were out visiting, and as we were approaching the door, I could hear that dog coming from somewhere. And there that dog come running around the corner of that house, and he zeroed in on us. And I don't know what come over me. I just grabbed Bobby, and I stuck him in between me and the dog and backed up to the car. I thought, this deacon can take one for the team here, you know what I'm saying? I put him between me and that dog. Look what it says here about God. It says, My soul follows close behind you, your right hand upholds me. So God's not backing you up, and He's not just walking beside you, but God positions Himself between you and whatever's coming against you and whatever's coming against you has to go through God to get to you and there's nothing in this world or even in hell that is a match for the mighty God that's standing as a shield in front of you. 
And I could just go on and on and on. He's seeking God with his mind. He's laying on his bed, and he is rolling over and over and over and over in his mind until he falls asleep just thinking about God and seeking God. Isn't it interesting? And I want you to get this. Because tonight, someone here, you got some troubles. And maybe it's a family issue like he had. I had an old preacher tell me one time, he said, when your kids are little, they'll drive you nuts. And he says, when they become adults, they'll break your heart. A lot of people experience that. I don't know if it's a financial need. I don't know if it's a doctor's diagnosis. I don't know, I don't know what, what, what you're going through. A challenge in your ministry. But this is what you need to understand. Here is David out in the wilderness. His son has rebelled and broken his heart. And he does not seek to get out of his troubles. He seeks God in his troubles. And if he had never had his troubles, we'd have never had this psalm. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek God with your soul. Seek God with your eyes. Seek God with your lips. Seek God with your hands. Seek God with your mind. And I've only got one thing to say to anyone here who's not saved, and it's found in the book of Isaiah. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Let's pray together. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Let's all stand together with heads bowed and eyes closed. And pastor's coming to stand here, and if you've never been saved, uh, you may not have tomorrow. Would you come to the pastor and say, Pastor, I need to be saved. But as the wisdom's come to sing, these altars are open, and, and this tonight will be a good night for you to begin to seek the Lord. And somewhere in this message that Brother Bob preached, that I preached, God spoke to your heart. And you just ought to come here. And seek God. You, you've been spending all your time seeking a way out of the mess. And what you need to start doing is just seek God in the mess. Holy Spirit of God. Lord God, we seek you tonight. We seek to see your power, to see your glory, to see Holy Ghost revival. Deliver your people from worry, anxiety, and fear. Oh, God. Oh, God. We seek you tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As they sing, you obey God tonight. Seek the Lord. Lord.